Great, so we are um, in a, a series over the course of this term, we're going to be dipping in and out of a, a book called Enjoying God by Tim Chester. We started it last week um, and we're in it today. I'm going to be speaking here and then I'll be shooting off to our site on Ashley Road to go and speak as well. Um, as, we, as we start this morning, uh, I'm just going to play a, a little clip, an audio clip. I wonder if you can tell me what this sound is. So if we can, if we can play the clip, can you tell me what this sound is? Okay, so we we any any we have bleep test. Any other ideas? Tennis. Anything else? Pop pong. Your fire alarm's about to go. Um, okay, it it is it is in fact the bleep test, um, and I think across universally, this uh, it is a dreaded sound. Um, those PE lessons, we say we're going to do the bleep test. Um, actually, does, does anyone actually enjoy the bleep test? Carlos, your hand was going up there. No, we have a few people that actually enjoy the bleep test. Um, if, you, if you haven't done it before, it's a, a series of, of, of shuttle runs, 20 meters, where you need to complete it before that, that beep sounds. I, I speeded it up, the, the, the um, gaps between the beeps, otherwise we've been sat here for, for a long time. Um, and every 60 seconds, the time between those beeps decreases, and it keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Has anyone actually completed the bleep test? You've done, you've done it all, all, the, all the way. Who thinks we should get rich to prove it? <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have time uh, to do that, but later on, Rich promises that he will show that he can complete the, the bleep test. <laughs> um, even elite athletes dread the bleep test because more often than not, at some point, you are going to fail. And in life, we all experience failure at some point. The question is, how are we going to respond? And as I said, we're in this series on enjoying God. And there's a chapter in Tim Chester's book which is entitled, In Every Failure, We Can Enjoy the Son's Grace. In a book on enjoying God, why would you have a chapter on failure? Because we don't normally associate failure and enjoyment. Now, it's true that some people see failure as a necessary part of life. Great inventors are used to this. Thomas Edison is quoted as saying, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. They see failure as part of the process. Is this what we're talking about when we speak of enjoying failure? Well, actually, we're going to go a bit deeper than this because having the Thomas Edison mentality is one thing with regard to inventions and with, uh, with, with regard to processes at work. But what about if we fail morally? What about when we lose our temper for the hundredth time with someone close to us? What if we give in to temptation and slip up where we've promised never to do it again? What about other kinds of failure? What if we think we've messed our lives up? What if we think that we've got it totally wrong? In what sense can we then put these words enjoy and failure together? The game changer here is the last three words of the chapter title in Enjoying God. It's the words, the Son's grace. The Son's grace. These three words speak of a hope, a freedom, and peace that is greater than the failure that we experience. 
But it's dependent on us looking at ourselves and seeing that we are by nature sinners in need of grace. To some here, that may seem obvious. In comparison to God's holiness and majesty, there's no way that people like us can match up. To others, this might be a little bit harder to listen to. You may think, I try to be good. I try not to harm anyone. I I do my bit. Do I really need a savior? Am I really that bad? Well, to truly enjoy the Son's grace, we need to have a grasp that everyone has sinned and fallen short. Everyone has missed the mark. No one is perfect. No one can keep up with the morality bleep test. Everyone will fail at some point, except one. And this is where we are to give our attention today. If we want to enjoy grace in our failures, we need to look to the Son, to Jesus Christ. This is what we're exploring. When we fail, and it is a when, not if, when we fail, how can we know the Son's grace? Well, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. In these Bibles is page uh, 1210. It'll also be on the screen behind me. <clears throat> page 1210, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to start halfway through verse 1. When we fail, how can we know the Son's grace? Hebrews 12, actually we'll read from the the start of verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are present here today. We thank you that when we call on you, we're confident that you hear and that you love to speak to us. I pray that hearts and minds will be open to you this day. Amen. Amen. So, in the bleep test and in life, it's easy to grow weary and lose heart when we fail. The antidote to this is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Tim Chester gives the illustration from a Blackadder series. Um, we have a, a picture here. Here we go. <coughs> Blackadder goes forth. Um, and has anyone not seen this series? My wife has not seen the series. That's troubling. How has that happened? I encourage you to, to watch it. It's a, it's a good series if you, if you haven't seen it. Um, it's set in the First World War. Uh, one of the central characters, uh, characters is General Melchett. He's the uh, guy um, second in from the left with the impressive moustache. Um, he is sending the troops into battle from the safety of his office without a care. At one point, he speaks to Private Baldrick, um, the guy holding the triangle. I don't think he was planning to take that one into battle. But um, he points to him and says, Don't worry, my boy. If you should falter, remember that Captain Darling and I are right behind you. To which Blackadder adds, Blackadder's one second from the right, he says, about 35 miles behind you. <laughs> for, for General Melchett, there's, there's no cost. He can happily send his troops into battle because he wouldn't dream of going with them and putting his life on the line. 
He may be behind them, but he's so far behind them that he's out of harm's way. His sentiments really are meaningless. But we're to see today that it's different with Jesus. Jesus is not behind us. He is ahead of us. Jesus did not stay in the comfort of heaven and say, I'm right behind you. You go for it. He chose to come to this earth to walk amongst us and give his life for us. He's not behind us. He's gone ahead of us. And the heart of this morning is about fixing our eyes on Jesus. In our failures, we're to look to him and not ourselves. As this text encourages us, look to Jesus. He is the pioneer. He is the champion. He is the example. He is the one who leads the way. He is the one who is with us in the thick of it and has gone ahead of us. He is the one that we are to follow. For Christ, it meant death on a cross. He gave his life for our sins so the victory over sin and death could be won. And so we are to enter into the, 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 the battle of the Christian life with the same willingness to die. Certainly to, to die to self. In, in our culture and context, we don't have usually faced the um, challenge of actually giving up our lives for the faith where many across this world would do. But we have to have our mindset to live this way that we would happily, we happily sacrifice die to ourselves to follow him. Because this isn't the message of our culture. Our culture says, treat yourself. You deserve it. Our culture says, live your best life now. The message of living sacrificially doesn't get a look in. If you look through your um, social media feeds and the, the message that bombard us, the message of living sacri sacrificially just, just does not come up. By contrast, Jesus asks, everything of us. He asked for complete surrender. But he asked nothing of us that he has not himself first endured. Paul makes this clear as he writes in Philippians chapter 2. He says that Jesus was in very nature God, but made himself nothing and became obedient to death on the cross. Jesus could have remained with the Father, lived his best life, and, and not given himself a sacrifice. But he chose the way of the cross as our saviour and our example. Jesus is not the general behind enemy lines. Jesus is our champion, our commander, our captain. He promised, I will build my church. He took on Satan, sin and death and rose victorious. We are to fix our eyes on him. I wonder, have you surrendered to him? Have you given your life fully to him, whether for the first time or it might be this morning that you need to surrender afresh. We have opportunity to respond later on. But Jesus is not only ahead of us, he is also over us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 tells us, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. He's been given all authority, which isn't surprising, but See this, he's been given all authority for the church. God has placed Jesus over all things for us, his church. He protects his people. He guides our mission. He sends the Holy Spirit to equip us for service. His ultimate authority means nothing can stand against this. When we fail, we, we come, uh, come against our very real frailty. When this happens, 
We're to look to Jesus and look to his strength. Our job is to offer him our lives, to be faithful witnesses and to serve him. And to know that Jesus is working now. He's not passively behind us, sat behind a desk. He is actively at work today. As we fix our eyes on him, we see the evidence of what he's doing. As you read through the pages of the book of Acts, you see it. In Acts chapter 7, he comforts Stephen before his martyrdom. In Acts chapter 9, he appears to Paul on the Damascus road and turns his life around. Later in Acts 9, verse 34, Peter tells a bedridden man, Jesus Christ heals you. In Acts 10 and 11, Jesus speaks from heaven to Peter to break cross-cultural boundaries. So we ask, what is Jesus doing in us? And what ways can we expect him to move? We can expect him to be at work healing, speaking, saving, comforting, building, and equipping. When we fail, we fix our eyes on Jesus who is with us, who is working and has given his life for us. Jesus is at work in the world today. But there's also another answer to what Jesus is doing now, and this must actually come first. This is an answer with the power to bring comfort to us whenever we fail. Jesus is busy doing nothing. He's busy doing nothing. In our passage we read, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. After Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice, he sat down. We see this exact phrase a couple of chapters earlier in Hebrews. Before Jesus came, the sacrificial system required priests to regularly make sacrifices for sins. But the work of Jesus is, is different. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 11 says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So what is Jesus doing now? We read there that he is sitting and he is waiting. The work of salvation is done. Imagine you've been studying for exam. You've spent a lot of time working, revising, making sure you know everything. You do the, the, you do the exam and then what do you do the next day? Do you go back to your books? Do you go back and sit down and, and work a bit more? No, it's finished. There's no point doing any further revision. The the exam is done. And so Jesus cried, it is finished. He has made complete atonement for sin. There's nothing left for him to do. There's no need to keep on running trying to beat that bleep test. It is finished. It is done. And this gives us such assurance and confidence. What's he doing? He's representing us in heaven. As we saw last week, when you become a Christian, when you confess your sin and put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're then united with Christ by faith. His death was your death, and his resurrection is your life. Our union does not just mean his past actions were done on our behalf. We're united with Christ now in heaven. He represents us now before the Father. Just pause and think about that for a moment. 
we have a representative before the Father in heaven. And he is perfect. His rest is our rest. His place in heaven is our place in heaven. He is our guarantee and our security. When we fail, we can enjoy this truth. And this is our confidence. Jesus had to go to the cross. None of those priests were good enough. None on the face of this earth has ever lived with complete righteousness. Everyone has fallen short of the perfect standard. And this means separation from a God who is holy. Because we fail to live in obedience to God, we do deserve eternal punishment and separation from a God that is holy and just. And it's important that we do feel the weight of this. Think of our situation without Christ. Of every failure, every sin, every dark thought that throws our future into doubt. Questions of, am I accepted before God? Can I really be forgiven? Am I secure? But then we are to lift our eyes of faith to see Jesus in the presence of God on our behalf. We lift our eyes to see Christ, your Christ, your sacrifice, and our light, love, and joy to flood into view. God forgives your sin through the death of Christ. In every failure, we can enjoy the grace that comes through Jesus. And this is how we enjoy Christ. We bring our failure to him and we receive his grace. So what do we do then to, to let go of guilt? What do we do? How we, well, we do what he does. We need to get busy doing nothing. Because sometimes we have that temptation to, to work harder, to try harder, to run faster and faster, trying to beat that bleep test. As we see, there's, there's lots to be done. But when it comes to earning our salvation or winning the Father's approval or impressing other people, we need to be busy doing nothing. And that can be hard for us. Let's um, turn to Luke chapter 10 page uh, 1042 in these Bibles, Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> this is a, an encounter with uh, Jesus and, and Mary and Martha. Page 1042, Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary there was busy doing nothing. She sat at the feet of Jesus and was enjoying him. And this should be our response. But often we can be like, like Martha, busy making preparations. And you can just imagine her kind of, kind of banging the cupboard doors passive-aggressively muttering under her breath about um, Mary and 
Like, why, why isn't my sister helping me out? I'm sure you guys, with your brothers and sisters, um, when your parents ask, can you help out, and your um, brother or sister's not doing anything, you're really happy, aren't you, to just do that cheerfully. Even if they're not doing anything, you say, sure, we'll do that. We can, we can identify, can't we, with, with Martha. We, we feel that. Only one thing is needed. And Mary chose to look to Jesus. We need to stop ourselves trying to prove that we are worthy and that we deserve it. And it is a natural response, trying to make up <clears throat> for what we've done wrong or even to show our devotion. But we, our starting place needs to be that of, of waiting, of resting, of doing nothing in his presence. Because this is grace. And grace is a free gift. It is not earned. It is received. We need to stop trying to make things right with God by our own effort. And this is true every day. We, often, we can know that when we first turn to Jesus that we, we need to give, uh, lay down all the things that we've done, done wrong or our own efforts. But it's very easy for it to creep back in, this, this thing of, uh, of self-justification. But each and every day, we need to begin with grace. And we need to hand over our sin and receive life. Just for a moment, think of your sin. Maybe something, sins that you've committed today or, or, or this week. The sins that maybe it feels as though you commit every day. Then imagine handing them to Jesus one by one. Just want to take a moment. Think of maybe the things that, that you've done. I think handing them over to Jesus one by one. Give them to him and feel the weight lift from your heart. Jesus has taken your burden and borne it at the cross in your place. And every day Jesus calls us into this gospel message. John Owen, writing in the 17th century, calls this blessed bartering. And in this, <clears throat> Jesus says, I'll take your failures, your sin, your guilt, your bitterness, your curse, your wrath, the death that you deserve. And in return, I'll give you joy, love, life, righteousness, and peace. This is why Jesus gave himself, and this is why he endured the cross. We let go of guilt, and we receive life as we fix our eyes on him. So then, finally, let's look at how we respond. <clears throat> we respond by fixing our eyes on Jesus and responding in worship. Returning to Hebrews chapter 12 and the encouragement here of fixing our eyes on him. Because to see Jesus is also to see the Father. Jesus reflects the Father's glory. From all eternity, God's perfections pour forth from the Father to the Son and back to the Father through the Spirit. And we get to participate. We get to join in this communion and relationship. So our primary response is to look to Christ and to worship him. Because as we look to Christ, we see and respond to the knowledge of God's glory. We delight in his perfect character. We revel in his finished work. We rest on what he has already done through his life, cross, and resurrection. We worship. And the more we see of him, the more we choose to fix our eyes on him, the more we respond in adoration. 
We fix our eyes on Jesus and we respond with confidence. Hebrews 4 verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He is our guarantee of a place with God. His work on the cross is complete, but it goes on speaking. It speaks to the Father as a permanent sign that the price of sin has been paid in full. And this speaks to us with a message of comfort when we are besieged by doubt. You may be doubting this morning, does God really love me? Am I really significant? Can I stand before him? We to fix our eyes on Jesus and respond in confidence. No matter how badly that we have failed, we respond by seeing Jesus in heaven on our behalf and we give up our attempts to remove our guilt and establish our identity to, to prove ourselves. We rest on his finished work. And then we fix our eyes on Jesus and we respond with love. We see a friend who's laid down his life for his friends. We see the husband who gave himself up for his bride. We see the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. You can't conjure love out of thin air. You can't love as an act of will or response to a command. But you can fix your eyes on Jesus and respond with love. You can look back to his work on the cross. You can look up to his presence in heaven for you. You can look forward to the day when he returns for his people. And we can hold on to the truth of 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. Each and every day we're to choose to fix our eyes on him and his unfailing love. So as I close, in every failure, we can enjoy the Son's grace. We're to live every single day defined by his grace. Every day we receive his grace because of the Son. And when we fail, where do we look? Do we try harder? Do we go again trying to learn from our experience? Do we give up? No, our first response is to, work, is to look to Jesus and his finished work to think more about Jesus than we do about ourselves and our sin. (coughs) We're to fix our eyes on him. Jesus gave everything. He's gone ahead of us. We can stand confident because it is finished. We have a representative in heaven. We are in Christ. We're to get busy doing nothing. A bit later on, we're going to be breaking bread together. We're going to be having communion. This is a, a chance for us to hand over our, our sin, to confess it. Maybe there are uh, some things that have been um, on your mind. We can come to Jesus and give it to him and be confident and then be busy doing nothing. So we're going to respond. We're to look to Christ and worship him. And we're to surrender ourselves fully. In every failure, we can enjoy the Son's grace. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we choose now to fix our eyes on you. We thank you that you are our confidence. We thank you that you are our hope. We thank you that in you, grace abounds. So, 
Lord, we choose now to look to your unfailing and steadfast love. I pray that we would be those here today that would be surrendering ourselves completely to you. Let us be living sacrifices that you would be glorified. We thank you that you give not based on our merit, but because of your incredible love and grace. So we stand with confidence now. We choose to look to you, to worship and adore. We glorify you, Lord.